Well, we begin this morning with a, uh, a somewhat uh, new statement to make. Uh, mission is everywhere. I hope it's not new to you. And effectively, um, what we want to talk about over the next month is just a reminder to ourselves that God first ordained mission. He gave us a commission. Jesus came, lived, served, loved, gave his life, and then was resurrected. Amen? And the resurrection set on course a path that every single person ever had an opportunity to know the truth about Jesus Christ. It started in Jerusalem and it ends the uttermost parts of the earth. It's a commission to all believers. Northreach has been committed to mission since its beginning. It had fantastic missional people involved in its creation and all through its history. So we, we can uh, boldly and faithfully say that we're a missional church. We continue to equip people for mission and we've sent out numerous people over a long period of time. But it's never not appropriate to redefine what is our purpose. And so this month is a remembering of what our purpose is, to glorify God, to make him known. Our commitment is to follow Jesus and to reach people. Reach people with the good news, the saving news of Jesus Christ. And I believe uh, Easter, once again, has been a great reminder of the high cost that the Father paid to ensure that we understand our missional purpose. Salvation through Jesus for everyone. We are on mission. And our first uh, purpose or mission is to follow Jesus. We can't make him known if we don't know him. So our first purpose is to follow Jesus. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 20. In verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Following the passage that we looked at last Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus reveals himself immediately after the resurrection, uh, we read on in Matthew 28 and from verse 16 that the disciples were on their way to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. Then Jesus in verse 18 came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I like to think of that as New Testament baptism, post-resurrection baptism. It's a post-resurrection call to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus prayed. 
and he engaged with his partners in the mission of God. He asked the Father on their behalf. He asked the Father on their behalf often, but right here, I'm very interested in Jesus' prayer because he is preparing to launch world mission and to identify, I want to identify what's on Jesus' heart as he begins this process. Mission is happening all over the world. I've got a friend who is currently in Turkey. I got a text from him just this week. He's meeting with business leaders that he's built a relationship with that uh, because of COVID, he hasn't been able to see for a while, but he's actually in Turkey now meeting with business leaders who are on the front line of mission, leading in their businesses in the name of Jesus Christ. How cool is that in an Islamic nation? And another friend who is regularly through Skype or live on Facebook, Zoom contacts, meeting with missionaries in Eastern Europe, Russia, Philippines, Africa, and across the continent, particularly in the Eastern European countries. Why? Because mission is alive because Jesus is alive. Amen? Mission, when I talked to you a few moments ago and said, we're going to remember about our purpose in mission, I would stake a reasonable claim that some of you went, uh-huh. Here we go again. Okay? I don't expect you to apologise for that. That's just reality. But what I'm going to remind you of is active, real mission is alive because Jesus is alive. And in some parts of our globe, this really cuts deep and it's wonderful. Because people are so confident about the claims of Christ that have transformed their heart, they can't help themselves but tell others. And there, in that context, mission is alive. The church in Iran, just a few facts to help us here. It's the fastest growing, with no buildings and mostly led by women and fearless in the face of persecution. There was uh, some time ago a Christian broadcasting network in the Middle East that began a Farsi language channel. It all goes all the way back to 2006, but even that continues to transform lives. Then there are the stories coming from the church in Mongolia. Services are held in schools, in town halls, abandoned theatres, anywhere where they can find space. And as one pastor writes, on one Sunday, I had the privilege of preaching there. Uh, and before the service begins, I said, you know, I wanted to use the bathroom. Uh, can I use the bathroom? So he's guided down a couple of hallways, then outside, and then guided through a hole in a fence, and then to a small outhouse. And he said, I asked the person to stay with me because I wouldn't have been able to find my way back. People are meeting wherever they can to proclaim the name of Jesus. Mission is everywhere. And then, of course, I, I need to say something about the Church of Ukraine. It's written, um, this that I found is written just before the recent Russian invasion. But the writer explains that 
Uh, one building that he was able to speak in used to be an army depot that Russian trucks and artillery would use. And it's now converted into a building dedicated to the gospel and around 600 Christians turn up there every Sunday. Praise God. I haven't been able to find out uh, what has happened to that old military stock building. I do know that in my early childhood in a church plant, I spent every Sunday with a bunch of dedicated, faithful Christians around uh, up to about 60 of them for a long, long time. Then an evangelist came to our church and we went from that 60 to about 600 every Sunday worshipping together. I entered Bible college from that church in the early 90s. And I'm not sure if you could agree with me, but it seems to me that we have churches all over our nation, all over our city, that would say something like, I don't think we've reached our potential. Churches so often would say, not sure we've reached our potential. And it frustrates me a lot when churches fail to reach their potential, whatever that means. I think the statement comes out of a heart that I haven't reached my potential as a follower of Jesus. And therefore, whatever church I'm going to hasn't reached its potential. Maybe I'm just thinking too logically or I'm not thinking spiritually. But I do want to proclaim this. I love the church. On so many occasions, I've had uh, various, well, let's say opportunities, but approaches uh, to get into parachurch ministry. And I've always said, no, I believe I am to stay in the local church. Local church, for me at least, is where it's at. I love the church. It's the body of Christ. And it's designed by God as a place of community and unity with a chief aim to glorify God. Amen? And I want to be one of those people who help to make the church healthy because its mission matters more than anything. And hear me well here, because I speak cautiously right now, but the church of Jesus Christ means more than my time or money or recreation or retirement or more than anyone else's personal preferences. We learn from 2 Corinthians 5, God is making his appeal through us. The mission that God gave to his disciples to give on for all time to Christ followers is that we should represent the name of Jesus faithfully and more than adequately. I believe God is still looking for people who have in the words of Francis Chan, a crazy love for Christ and his church, a radical love. We can't separate Christ from his church.
because you can't separate a head from the body. Amen? It's not going to live very long. We are a church on a mission and engagement that is the purpose of Christ, not our purpose. Ambassadors for the gospel of love and hope and peace. So I want to move into one of the times in the Bible where we hear Jesus addressing his father. The passage is so amazing. In fact, the passage is a reveal. How the Lord prays is a revelation to us. And particularly as Jesus prepares to launch his followers into mission. What's on Jesus' heart? What's he thinking about as he prepares to launch into mission? How does that then translate for us? What does Jesus pray for? Well, first of all, Jesus prays for his Father to be glorified. Jesus says, I've brought you glory, Father, by finishing the work of ministry and mission you sent me to do and the work of redemption. If we look back to Easter, uh, Jesus right here, post-resurrection, is basically saying the cross I endured is not a place of shame, but of honour and glory. And Paul, who himself was a follower and a missionary, explains this truth from the follower's perspective. Uh, Philippians 3.10, to suffer for the gospel is to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. And I think we even uh, almost get a summary statement there in verse 22 at the bottom of that slide. Glorify me, which will glorify you because we are one. In John uh, 17 and verse 5 and verse 24, Jesus acknowledges divine glory before the world was even made. We were together before the world was even made. And this ties the prayer directly to John's introduction in chapter one of his uh, epistle. And now at the preparation for the launch of mission, there is glory. Glory has come to me. Have you thought of yourself as Jesus' glory? Have you thought of yourself as redeemed, restored? The concept even talks about brokenness that's been put back together rightly. Repurchased, but restored. And given a purpose for his glory and reflecting his glory. In verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. You see, we don't glory in ourselves. In the same way as we say we don't glorify war, none of us is able to say we glory in ourselves. We glory in the name of Jesus. Amen? We glorify his name and his name alone. And God is glorified through the Son. 
Jesus gives glory to the Father and connects with unity in the Godhead. And I love how Jesus reaches to the heavens on our behalf. He prays for us. In verse 13 there and 17, Jesus prays for joy. He prays for joy in the context, if we take our minds back to what we know of but the New Testament history very early on in post-resurrection times, this is a dangerous place. Jerusalem and uh, the outer parts of Jerusalem were a dangerous place to proclaim the name of Jesus. Okay, the Romans had put him on a cross. Sure, he is resurrected. And those of his followers are just amazed and, and thinking, wow, now I know in whom I have believed. There's a, there's a multiplication of the story of truth in Jesus. But to proclaim that story in that context was dangerous. And right here, Jesus prays for our joy. While he knows we, he is and we will be involved in very dangerous work. So let me say to you, you just can't conjure up joy. It's not our work. You can't just go out of this place today and say, I'm going to be joyful today. Yeah. Right? You can't wake up tomorrow. Because in our world... It doesn't give us a lot of reason to be joyful. So joyful, being joyful, the act of being in joy is not of us. Do you get that? You can't just turn it on, snap your fingers and go, I'm going to be joyful now. It's not going to happen for you. I'm just speaking from personal experience. But our hope in Christ, oh wow. That's transformational. And in the story of transformation, in the reality of truth, releasing freedom, giving us peace, restoring us, us having a purpose translates to an inner contentment that bubbles to joy. So when Jesus prays for joy, he is praying for unity that we would know him, him glorified as he glorifies the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Our joy is in Christ alone. And theologically, there is no other way for us to attain joy. Joy comes through Jesus. It's his joy within us. And of course, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. But it was always Jesus desired for us, as in John 17, 13. It's his desire. And he prays for it to be. And so as Jesus is about to launch mission across the globe, this is how he prays? About unity, about joy, about glory to the Father. This is how he prays? Sunday morning is a time to celebrate. And I know that 
you know, I stand here as a, a representation of the leadership and, and uh, Sundays don't suit everybody. If we changed it, there'd be somebody else that it didn't suit. If we did something totally and completely different, there'd be a lot of other people that it didn't suit. Sundays is about coming to worship Jesus, yeah? <laughs> and I want everybody to contribute to that. So if you, if you know, and I'm so glad that some already have, if you know how it may work better for you and us, I need to hear from you. But when I hear from you, what I will hear is to celebrate God we could. Right? To worship God we will. Because I don't want to hear your preferences. I want to hear your theological story. To know God we should. Celebrate the goodness of God. We are to give him glory. That's why singing is a central part of our gatherings across lots of different nations. Remember, church, Jesus is praying us through. I do not believe Jesus said these things and then just went off to heaven to enjoy its riches. He promised to be with us. Amen? He's with us in the trenches. He's in the streets. He's on the beach. Following Jesus is our thing. And then, if I'm saying this because if we said reaching people was our thing, where's our power? Following Jesus will enable us. The transformational activity of following Jesus enthuses, ignites us, creates within us the way to reach people. We do it in his name. And here's a kicker. Kind of finishing with this. Jesus prays for holiness. And there's a reason Jesus prays for holiness. Because the absence of holiness is a contradiction to the message of the gospel. There's no mission in the name of Jesus without holiness. And Jesus prays, sanctify them. Verses 17, 18 and 19. I'll just put those three verses up there. They talk about a transition, which essentially is a transformation. The presence of holiness brings peace. The absence of holiness brings turmoil. Gary laid that out really clearly for us this morning. Sin is always destructive. And we should walk as far away from sin as we are ever able to in the name of Jesus. Amen? We should just not have it. However... In the grace of God, God dealt with our sin problem to release us. And this is a work of God that transforms us. With holiness comes truth and truth sets us free. And we should know and remember what happens when we are set free. 
because to sanctify in verse 19 essentially is to set apart. And if it's a sanctification is setting us apart, what is it setting us apart from? Well, from our brokenness in our former life. Essentially, it sets us apart now from the world. We are to be different from the world. You've heard of salt and light. You've heard of light and darkness. Well, you're either light or dark. And if you don't want to be dark, then you need to learn how to live light. Isn't that true? You can't kind of just sit in the lukewarmness of light or darkness. It doesn't exist. You turn on a light, it changes darkness into light. Amen? Isn't that simple? I'm not a very good scientist, but I know that much. And we are sanctified, set apart from darkness. We're set apart from all that is not in Jesus Christ. Different from anything that's not of God and righteousness. Therefore, we reflect Jesus and his love because people will see the difference. Isn't that beautiful? That's not even scientific. That's just pure logic. And if we aren't, then I just need to simply say that needs to immediately change. In the name of Jesus, I would say that if that's not your experience, that needs to change today. Because there is no sitting in somewhere between light and darkness. There'll be one way or the other. There's always going to be pressure to accommodate and compromise. And sadly, many times we do, more than we like to admit, most of us. But awareness of the truth will stop us in our tracks because we have a higher purpose to glorify God. Amen? It seems Jesus is constantly committing himself to the mission assigned by the Father. Even Jesus Christ, the Lord, doesn't take that for granted. He gets away with the Father. He proclaims the Father. He is constantly in active duty serving and glorifying the Father. Uh, that's, that's what he gets about. And out of that comes the story of hope that he proclaims in the scriptures. He, he, he's not a robot that just spits it out. It comes in and then oozes out. Do you believe that? Or you'd say, you know, Jesus is just a robot and he just had a mechanical something within him that he gets on a hillside and he just starts talking and robotically he has all these stories that are transformational. No, I don't believe that. I believe he kept himself to the Father's heart. Not just respected or honoured, but actively pursued the heart of God all of the time in his flesh. And that gave him the enabling to be the person that he is. Now glorified, of course. Constantly committing himself because his holiness was his attitude. Holiness is a matter of the heart. It brings humility, not self-righteousness or judgmentalism. Northreach, we are on mission in Jesus' name.
and I remind you in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. He prays for our protection from the evil one. We have an enemy, it is dangerous work. And Jesus constantly prays for us. And he prays with this further promise in verse 26. He promises to lead the mission, working in us and through us. He'll always point us to the Father. He's promised the Spirit. And this is the essence and vision of our church, to honour the mission, to follow him and to make him known by reaching others. Can I pray for us? I invite you to stand for prayer. Jesus prayed for us in saying, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Spiritual fruit that glorifies God. So, Lord, we need your help. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us personally, to us individually, to us corporately and in unity. That we would not only acknowledge the truth that we are on mission, but it might captivate us such that our mouths will open when your spirit moves and we will reflect your love and light in our families, in our streets, in our communities and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us.